after my partner died uh, in a fire at, at one of our plants about 10 years into the business, that's when I really got stuck. I, 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 I call it, you know, I feel like I was broken then. And I was in this place I, I've, I've termed as the Valley of Uncertainty, where I'm wandering around wondering what the hell just happened to me. And welcome to Ultra Habits here. We go under the hood with our guests to unpack the minutiae and to understand what processes and systems they engage or research that result in ultra-enhanced living. Howdy folks, it is RJ Singh. Welcome to another week on Ultra Habits and we are talking to Mike Malatesta today. It is all things entrepreneurship. How do we start? build, scale, and exit a business and do it without losing our shit, going crazy, and keeping it all together. The conversation I have with Mike acknowledges that what ultimately helped us start and commence a growth journey is not necessarily the same skills required to scale and ultimately exit. And he is on a mission to help entrepreneurs do this piece effectively. Now, Mike is a proven entrepreneur himself. He sold a couple businesses. He has grown firms from the bottom up, literally scrounging for cash, getting investment from family and whoever was willing to invest in his big ideas and ultimately take a chance on him. And he had built initially what was a massive waste management firm, and he ultimately sold that business. And what he realized during that journey was that there was a lot of things that he could have learned and done better, quicker, smarter, and faster had he had the right trusted advisors with him advising him on how to get out of his own way. And that's what we are here to unpack today. The entrepreneurial journey is something that everyone in this day and age seems to admire. It's a journey that everyone wants to embark on. The entrepreneur, let's face it, seems to be the new athlete and rock star. But what many people like Mike know, and what a lot of people that are not yet engaged in the journey don't know yet, is that the skills and the passion that are required to continue to grow towards that trajectory of massive, massive exponential outcomes, the skills require change. The mindset require changes. And the way we go about things need to change. And so we're here to talk to Mike about all this stuff. Mike currently has a podcast called How Did It Happen? I met Mike through some mutual friends within the LinkedIn ecosystem, connected with him, had a chat, real humble guy, straight shooter, and uh, was a joy to talk to. For entrepreneurs out there or for anyone that is shaping an idea ready to go to market. This is a conversation you're going to want to listen to. Mike is creating a world and ecosystem of entrepreneurs that are all on a similar path, and he's helping advise these entrepreneurs on how they could avoid tripping up the same kind of mistakes that he made himself. We're getting close to Christmas, folks. I am doing a bit of filming from home. The show must go on. And we continue to release these episodes weekly. Hopefully, whilst you guys have some time off, you can get to some of the episodes you haven't yet checked out. Again, please go to www.ultrahabits.co. If you haven't, subscribe, sign up, get onto the cool shit that we're doing. If you already have, thank you for your continued support. Anyhow, I'm going to go. I'm going to leave you in the capable hands of Mike. Peace out, guys. Have a fantastic day. Christmas and a safe new year. Mike, welcome to the Ultra Habits show. I always love when I have a fellow podcaster on the show because it kind of makes the whole process familiar to everyone. But uh, welcome. Yeah, thanks, RJ. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah. Look, I'm really glad Craig introduced us. He's been really wonderful in terms of his recommendations. He's a real mover and shaker and connector, isn't he? 
Uh, he is, and he's been wonderful, uh, you know, for me during my book writing process, you know, and I, I, I was just blown away by the book he wrote, Blank Canvas, and I thought I just needed to connect with him. So I, I connected with him out of the blue, and it's been a really, you know, great mutual uh, connection since. He's a good guy, very good guy. Yeah, yeah. So let's, we're going to, we're going to jump into your your book, your your show, you know, how did it happen, ownership, and kind of your movement to help entrepreneurs and business owners get unstuck. Yeah. But before we get there and go there, I know you're from Wisconsin. Why don't you give our audience a bit of flavor as to how you came up, where you're from, what your background is about? Sure. Yeah. I, I, uh, I was born outside of uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania and lived there, uh, pretty much in the same, you know, one mile area for, uh, you know, till I got out of, out of college. And then, uh, out of college, I got a job as a management trainee and, and that was a really great position because I, I got to, um, I was working for a waste management company and I was, um, moving around to different locations and doing different things. And it was really, um, exciting, uh, for me. And I did that for five years and I thought, well, you know, maybe one day I could be this, you know, the CEO of this big company. And instead of, that uh, materializing, I got fired from that job instead. And so I was kind of, that was my first stock. <laughs> I was, didn't know what to do with my life. I was 26 when that happened. And um, fortunately though, uh, through, a, through a series of things I had never seen coming, I, I, I used that experience to, to, you know, to start my first company six months later or so. And um, that began my entrepreneurial path. And so um, I had been in Wisconsin when I got fired. So I just ended up staying here in this, in the pretty much in the center of the of the U.S. and um, and made a go, made a go of it. Mm-hmm. it. It's interesting the waste management business. I've got some friends here in Australia that work uh, in Clean Away, been involved Clean Away for a long time, and I'm in logistics. It's um, it's an industry, uh, logistics, and I'm sure uh, waste management is the same that we've come to appreciate over COVID because, you know, you can have all these wonderful services and products, but there's certain things that are required all right. the time, right? Like, and, and they're always growing. They're always required. They may not be sexy. In regards to the, the industry, though, waste management in particular, what's your view on the industry? Like, is it pretty fragmented? Is there a lot of smaller operators is it is it is it consolidated is it is there you know high barriers to entry what was your experience within that industry sure well i i only have familiarity in the u.s but i'll give it a go um the there's the what's great about what i think is great about the waste management industry is that there are so many niches there are so many different types of problems um that are out there that need to be solved and 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 require different skill sets, different facilities, different equipment. That it's um, yeah, I've been doing this my you know thirty some years, uh, and there's still things that I'm learning about waste that I never I never knew. So when it, the the trash business, what I call the you know garbage or trash or refuse or whatever you might call it, um, that is a uh, that's the most mature uh, waste business in the, in the U.S., I'd say. And, and that's where I grew up in that business. I started driving a truck when I was in college, and that's how I got interested in the business in the first place. But when, when I got fired and we were looking at for an opportunity, I didn't think that I could really compete and differentiate in that part of the business. And so instead, we, we focused on wastewater at first, and uh, particularly wastewater from manufacturing operations that was contaminated during the the manufacturing process and needed to be, uh, you know, taken to a, a, a treatment facility before it could be, uh, you know, discharged back into the sewer system. And so we thought that was a less mature, certainly less consolidated, a lot of, lot of small operators, a lot of mom and pops. And we thought, well, maybe we could actually make a difference here. And so we, we, we went into that niche and, and we, I've stayed there, um, 
you know, my whole career. And that, that now is catching up. There's consolidation with, there's a lot of private equity, uh, funding available to, to, you know, roll-ups and stuff in that, in that industry. So it's maybe 20 years behind the trash business, but it's starting to get there, but there's still a ton of niches, RJ. And that's mm. what, that's what I love about the business. Um, it may not be sexy, but you can be really creative in this business mm -hmm. and solve problems. Um, in, and, uh, there's just a wide range of places where you can sort of step in and, and, and make a name for yourself. Mm. Now there's something to be said there, right? So you saw an opportunity in a kind of dispersed marketplace to come in, introduce some sophistication that the mon pause probably didn't have. And, uh, <laughs> No doubt there might have been some M&A on your end in terms of acquiring, maybe building. I, I don't know, but I think that's that's interesting. And something that I talked to Darren Jacklin about a couple of weeks ago, you know, he said, um, you know, approaching industries and getting into industries that are looked at as boring. You know, he's yeah. accounting and kind of spyware, software, and these kind of services and products that may not be looked at all the time, but they're stable and they're always somebody said that right for, for sure and you said it uh, during covid i mean you can have a lot of things shut down but there's still you know waste being produced and in the in the u.s when we shut down a lot of uh you know a lot of retail and stuff was shut down but all of the manufacturers were deemed essential and so they kept you know cranking out product and of course they they were generating waste alongside of that so it's 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 always there. It's a re recurring revenue, and um, those are great businesses. Get a base and then build on the base. Yeah, I think it's definitely a new lens to look at business opportunity through in terms of like pandemic. Like, right. You know, so, <laughs> like it's, it probably wasn't something people looked at, you know, in terms of that lens before, right? But yeah, uh, you know, it, it's funny. I have a page in my notebook that I started um, probably a couple months into COVID, and I started writing, you know. COVID resistant businesses. And I just kind of writ because I thought to myself, maybe I need to, um, you know, in addition to what I'm doing now, maybe there's an opportunity I should be looking at to um, either buy or start other, what I would consider to be COVID or pandemic resistant businesses. Um, because a lot of those, I think, are probably, you're, you're probably able to get uh, your, you, you know, get a, get a, get a presence in at a, at a, you know, a price point that makes sense. And then, you know, just be ready for the next time. You definitely don't, I definitely don't want to have my resources in anything that the government can shut down. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can now leverage and there's also the opportunity to leverage that uh, leverage the, the need to de-risk, right? So like, yeah. even if it's like, if you have a business model or a, a product or service that provides the opportunity for, you know, the world to de-risk what COVID could bring, I think now it would be seen, people would pay for that. Whereas before they may not because Good. that, yeah. that kind of anticipation wasn't there. So you're let, let's move along into the business journey. So now you're in, in waste management. Now that was a, I think that's been a major part of your, your business journey, how has that whole process shaped your new work, like your your new purpose? Like why and how did you move from building a couple massive waste management firms, exiting, and now you're you're at where you're at in terms of trying to help other entrepreneurs do that? How did that whole process shape where you're at today, Mike? Well, it's, it actually started probably uh, 10 years ago. And at the time, well, even more than 10 years ago, I was, I was, you know, I started taking some of my, you know, you know, discretionary income and I was investing in stocks and that kind of thing, like most normal people do, RJ. And then um, at one point I was like, I was watching it all the time, <clears throat> like CNBC here in the U.S. and you know, like it was, it was overtaking me. And I thought to myself, well, this is dumb because first of all, I can't do anything about any of these companies. Right. 
I'm just going to take a drink here. Excuse me. Of course. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> yeah, I thought I there's nothing I can do about any of these companies. And all this time I'm spending looking at them is time that I'm you know, taking away from my business, which is what I should be doing. And it <clears throat> occurred to me at that time that, you know, I, I had, while my entrepreneurial journey was certainly not uh, smooth sailing all the time, it had been good to me and people had helped me. And I thought to myself, uh, it's time to like, return that favor because uh, I think I can be helpful to entrepreneurs and and I want to support them because I think they deserve it and they need it and uh, you know they can change the world. And so I, even though I, so I started that a long time ago, sort of small, you know, and then when I sold my first business, it, it gave me some more resources to put to work on that. And I started to really think about what I wanted to accomplish. And, and I'm still working through this, but right now my mission is to, you know, help in some way be, be helpful or be connected to a thousand entrepreneurs who build companies, each build companies that are worth $20 million or more and then encourage all of those entrepreneurs to pay that forward to 10 additional entrepreneurs. So at the end, you're creating, you know, really, really, really massive value. And you're creating a lot of successful uh, entrepreneurs and a lot of li livelihoods for a lot of people and a lot of new capabilities in the world. And I, if I come anywhere close to, you know, doing that, then I feel like I've done what I was put here to do. What, what was the value that, what is the value that you see this ecosystem could create for these entrepreneurs that at the time when you were lost in the journey or, you know, you were struggling or you may not have been struggling because you had mentors, but what is that value that you're trying to produce and give to these entrepreneurs? Well, I think money is is definitely one, RJ. As you, as you know, until fairly recently, it's become, it, it could be very difficult to get money for, for a new idea. It could be very get difficult to get money to, to fuel growth. It could be very difficult to take a big order because you couldn't fund the, the, you know, the gap between when you sent the product and pay, had to pay for it and when you got paid. And now you're starting to see what I, what I would call the democratization of, of, of resources, particularly money, um, being available to entrepreneurs through, you know, things like AngelList and other types of syndicate type operations where it's a, basically a crowdsourced funding of, uh, you know, people who have some means but may not be able to, you know, fund the whole company like a venture capital firm or a private equity firm, but but you're able to access a lot more money more easily. So that's that's one. And on the democratization uh, end of it, the the along with the money comes free a lot of times free advice and experiences that you weren't that were hard to come by. You know, it was hard to get a mentor, uh, a good mentor. Now. You can get mentors much more easily, um, and and access to experience, as I said, for for free instead of trying to figure out well, who sh who should I pay for, you know, who's the right person to pay to get me where I want to be. And I'm not saying that it's still not a good idea to pay someone who can help you directly, but it sure is nice to have you know, a broad advisory board of sorts that's willing to contribute inf uh, ideas to you uh, for, fr for free. Um, mm. So that's kind of my <clears throat> two, two things that I think are different and important and helpful in being able to, um, I guess, scale entrepreneurism faster going forward than maybe it's been able to do uh, in the past. And and that category of twenty million dollar revenue turnover, yeah. what are the unique challenges? Because I have my view on that. I think it's an interesting 
uh, category of size that you're focused on. And I, we're a, at Cora, which is my logistics business. We're about a $40 million company. So I understand okay. the challenges within that category. Yeah. Why are you focused on that space? Well, I'm, and, and I'm, that number is value, not, not revenue turnover. So, um, and I picked it really arbitrarily because if you have a business valued at $20 million, let's to me, to me, that's the place where you've one demonstrated that your business is, is worth something. It's not, you know, it's not a solopreneur business that you, you know, can't sell to anybody. And two, that's a meaningful number. That's a number that, you know, a value number that you can live on, for example, or that you can have the resources to, you know, carry on with, you know, the, the in, influencing 10 more people as, which is what I want, uh, you know, I want to see happen. So it was, it was an arbitrary number, but I, but it was kind of come at, um, from, from those two angles. Mm. And so now you're talking about this entrepreneurial journey and one of the taglines, uh, is it's, you know, about getting entrepreneurs unstuck. Yes. Now, what are the typical things that you see get entrepreneurs stuck? Well, there's 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 a ton of them. I, but I'd say the biggest one is just us as entrepreneurs. We, um, well, uh, my own experience was that as my business was growing, uh, you know, it was just, we started from nothing, so everything was you know a win. Um, and I had a certain skill set that I used at the beginning that I thought was the right skill sets, you know, and the right actions to be taking. But 10 years in or so, we were much bigger and I was still treating the, 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 the business like it was a startup, like it was an infant. And I had everything designed around the model that had been working for me. And I didn't realize it, of course, um, felt very comfortable. But what it required of me was that or I didn't feel comfortable. It felt normal, and and what it but what it required of me was to be, to. You know, just approach everything was I just you know I just have to work harder. I just have to do more. I just have to do this. I just more have energy. to do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, it's not scalable yeah. and not good energy because the energy that I got from doing it that way at the beginning was like awesome because when you know you get a win and you're like this is phenomenal, but then after a while the same things are happening and you're like, this sucks. Why do I have to deal with this? You know? So I think a lot of us uh, just do it to ourselves. I, I say that we design a system that's perfect. You know, we did, we perfectly design a system that puts us exactly where we are. Mm -hmm. Now you can deal with that or you can't, or, or you can decide not to deal with it. But the good thing about dealing with that is one, you're aware. And that's the first, you know, first, First, first you're aware you're stuck, and then you're aware that you want to, you know, get unstuck. And then there's this revelation, RJ. Like, I think it's a revelation where, if 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 it's true that I designed a system perfectly to get me exactly where I am, then it should also be true that I can design another system to get me exactly where I want to go. And so that's sort of the mindset around um, that I like to like to like to talk about around how you get, how you get stuck in the first place and then how you get unstuck and then break through. That's what I want people to do. Break through. See, what you're saying is the things that helped us arrive may not be the things that are going to help us to get there, but we have this confirmation bias that we think because we've done it to get there, it's got to be the way. And I agree with you. Like, how do we get out of our own way? Yes. I think leaders that can become more inclusive early in terms of getting the right talent step aside from their own ego and their own frameworks. And I think that's a massive challenging piece. And yeah, I do agree with you that we typically have a way of seeing what got us to where we're at is being this confirmation that it's going to continue to help us propel right. in the right direction. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. That's really that's really good. And I would throw maybe a a tiny bit of hero complex on top of that because <laughs> you design a system where you're the hero because everything comes to you and you can fix everything. Um, so yeah, I that's 
Yeah, I like that a lot. The confirmation bias. You're right. We talk ourselves. We 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 convince ourselves that yes, what got us here will get us there. And uh, even though we don't like it, <laughs> you know, we just so yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah. With, with your with your own businesses, when you started to realize that you were you had this hero complex, did you? How did you source? trusted advisors within your business? And how did you get people on the journey for the long term? Like, did you do an equity play with people? Did you give people equity? Like, how did you get the right people around you to buy in and then stay on the bus for what is a difficult and long journey a lot of the times? Well, um, I'd say that one thing that I didn't realize was that I already had people on the team who could do much more than I had ask them to do. <laughs> and it's one of those things, right? If you, if you, I heard a guy say this the other day and I thought this was amazing. You can't have expectations without agreement. So I had these great people on my team. I had expectations for them in my mind, RJ, because I was getting frustrated and I would think to myself, why aren't they just, you know, jumping in here and doing it? But we never had an agreement about that. So they felt, I think, the way that I was acting and the way that I was had things set up was well how I wanted it. So why That's would they right. why would they mm -hmm. come and suggest that you change it? So that was that was number one. And number I guess number two was after my partner died uh, in a fire at, at one of our plants about ten years into the business. That's when I really got stuck. I I I, I call it you know I feel like I was broken then, and I was in this place I I've. I've termed as the Valley of Uncertainty, where I'm wandering around, wondering what the hell just happened to me and waiting for someone to come along and tell me what to do or tell me it's not my fault or tell me, you know, how to get out of this. And, and I wandered around in there for a little while. And then, um, it, another thing that occurred to me was, you know, I designed this, like I said before, I, I mean, I designed this to be the way it is. So I'm, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Um, I'd also really, really, and I think this is a really dumb move of mine, but it's, but I'm not the only one doing this. I was very, very, uh, had a very, uh, uh, like, like a, like a wall. I had sort of created a wall around my business and me, and I stayed inside that wall all the time because I thought that's where I needed to be. But it, but to break through, I needed to get outside of that wall. And I was, I was at a breakfast meeting, RJ, and um, the speaker was uh, a guy who he he owned a really nice restaurant in in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Still does, um, and he was just talking about his experience and and he mentioned uh, this coaching program that he had gotten into that had really changed how he thought about what he should be doing in the business and what is uh, what's the real role of the entrepreneur or the, or the leader. And, you know, when you're, when you're, when your brain's open to something, your eyes and your ears are looking for it. And that's, <laughs> that happened to me that morning. And I, and I, I joined that coaching program, which is called the, the strategic coach. And that was a, a really big step in helping me get my thinking clear and actually, you know, develop a strategy, put tools together. Um, you know, and just create a future for myself that was different than what I had thought it was going to be. It was the future I wanted to own, not the future that I thought would just come along with, mm -hmm. you know, without, you know, without me having any control over it. How important or in your view, like just looking at different businesses, your journey, other businesses journeys that you may be involved in, the entrepreneur, the person that starts the firm, um, how do they know when to step away and let a external CEO come in and run the firm? Like, how do they know when it's good for them to play more of a founder piece versus actually running the business? Um, I, I, I would say that most of them don't, they don't know they have to. So, um, that shift, uh, has to come usually comes from someone else. Now there are some very enlightened, um, 
uh, founders who know from the very beginning that they are not designed to run this business. There are some of those. Uh, and and I'm inspired by them because right? it's not easy to to start something and say, you know what, I'm probably not the person to take it to the next level. I think much many more of them have that realization brought to them by some other force or some other person, whether it be, uh, you know, their equity partner. That happens a lot, right? We, they they partner with you and then they go, hey, you know what, we've been trying this for a while and I don't think you're the right person <laughs> to run it, which is tough. That's a tough pill to swallow, you know. Um, or it could be your bank or someone else who sees, you know, but, but I think it's, I think it's very rare for a founder to be able to take a business, you know, through a life cycle, especially if the business grows a lot, because it often takes different skill set than what, than what you have. So knowing what your skill set is going in or knowing what, what's, what your, uh, like in strategic coach, they call it unique ability. What your unique ability is, is very, very helpful because once you know that, then you can start, you know, to design the business so that you're only doing the things that, you know, that you're, you've got the skill set for. And it makes it easier then once you, once you get your head around that, I think it makes it easier for you to, to bring in, you know, the management talent that you need and not feel like that's a slight on you. That's like a perfectly designed system, to, mm -hmm. right? So I'm only going to do these things because these things move the needle and this is what I'm good at and nobody else is as good as me. But the rest of it, there's plenty of people as good as me. So let me just give into that. And 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 I think that's 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 a great revelation to have. I just some some come to it easily and some not so easily. Um, mm. it, it's you, an oh yeah, look, it's an interesting one. The the firm that I worked in previously um is a a senior kind of consultant. Um, that firm has recently sold to the Singapore Post mm. for almost 300 million bucks, right? Now that firm was nice. started by a 22 year old. And he, by the time he was maybe 27, 28, had pulled out. And what he did was he brought in people that had the skills to run the firm and just as a observer watching, because they're now a competitor of mine. Okay. Um, I'm a partner in a firm, a much smaller firm that is a competitor of, of, of them. Um, but just observing is it is from afar. What he did well was he he could his ego was more tied to not the running of the firm, but watching it grow into a behemoth. He didn't have to be the driver of it. But he got his satisfaction from watching and being the orchestrator of it. So his talent was he started it, but he was able to identify the right people at the right time. But he never let his foot off the pedal in terms of he never fully gave control to the CEO. He was always looking for people at the right time of the business journey. And he's innately attuned to people and the strengths of individuals. So what he did was he, for the next 12 years or 13 years, just kind of in the background orchestrated who was to be where at the right place at the right time. And it freed up his energy to also, and his time to go focus in diversification as well in terms of his interests. So just observing that journey as to what he did and why his firm in terms of its nearest competitors is three or four times the size of any firm that is in the vicinity. Uh, he, he, he did that because he identified early on that by stepping away, giving equity to the right people, bringing in the right people at the right time, and then managing that ecosystem of, of people, he could scale. Nice. And I think that's a very powerful example as to he was connected to what his objectives were and he realized that he didn't necessarily, and he probably wasn't the person best suited to drive that. Uh, and he identified that very early um, on in the piece, the firm that I'm in similar piece, the, the founder 
he tried to do it. And then he brought in people like myself, the CEO and the management team on an equity piece. Hmm. And we have, we, we've done this before. You're right. And so he stays involved. He, he dabbles in certain functions and it's interesting to watch him because part of him still wants to be involved in the day to day by him doing that. It creates complexity too, sure. because he kind of drops in and out when he, where and how he feels, but he's slowly moving away. Right. And so it's getting better though, by him doing Hey guys, just wanted to take a quick break to thank you for your continued support of the Ultra Habits Show. It's through your support that we've been able to scale this thing so quickly and so strong over the past year. And we're truly grateful for your continued support. If you haven't already, please go to www.ultrahabits.co and subscribe. You'll get cool information, insights, and be up to date with everything we're doing. And also, if you haven't, please rate this podcast. The link is in the show notes. When you do this, you help us scale our message of ultra performance, ultimately helping us create more impact with our tribe. Anyways, we're going to leave you back in the hands of our wonderful guest. Yeah, it's kind of, because um, it's tough, right? Like the first person you mentioned, uh, really smart, right? Now, maybe he came to, to to those realizations by himself. Maybe he had, you know, advisors or something who helped him with that early. But but what you described is he, he's probably the 1%, you know, that 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 gets it and does that. Your current the your current experience reminds me of of uh, uh, still still uh, you know in the small percentage, but much you know they're the ones that are really struggling with the with the change, right? Because um, they still feel like their judgment is you know really good judgment, right? They feel like their ideas are, are good ideas, and and um, it's hard not to it's hard not to jump in and sort of leave a mess and then walk away. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. I mean, the thing about him is he's young ish still, like we're all, you know, a pretty young team. He's maybe mm-hmm. 42, 43. He's got young kids at home. He likes to come into the office still. He gets involved with, I mean, I'm head of growth. So I do the fun stuff. Okay. He gets involved with me. He still has unique relationships with our suppliers. He's kind of the, the fun guy The the staff love him. And so in Australia, we have a very different culture to the U.S. in the sense that the staff take the piss out of the boss here, right? There's a very... Um, uh, what, what does that mean? What I mean is there's... Australian culture is such where... So, and there's a downside to it, but there's an upside to it where there's, there's no hierarchy when it comes to people making fun of you. Oh, right. Okay. And okay, okay. Like there's no, you know, he'll come in, we'll bag him out. Like this, like it's a fun culture. People like him. And so he has a lot of fun coming here. So there's still a lot of value, but what we're increasingly trying to do is put him in a place where he's just the founder and kind of this spiritual leader and he can, and he can play that role. And so, but there's still some unique knowledge that we leverage from him that we haven't yet found a way to bring into the business within the people that are operating the business, if that makes sense. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. if you're making fun of someone that me, that's a sign that's you're showing respect by make, by being able to make in, fun of them. In, in, in Australia, it's, it's funny like that. It's a, okay. um, if people, what they call take the piss out of you, which is making fun, it means they really like you. Oh, right. There's, okay. and there's a, it's a culture here in Australia and, and, and it's, it's it's also what we we believe is fueled what we call tall poppy in Australia, where people make fun of themselves a lot, and yeah. and 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 that's kind of like if you're if you're seen to take yourself too seriously, people are like oh. So in some ways, it's this it's a great culture in that sense where you've got everyone that kind of is happy to to be happy go lucky, not take themselves too seriously. But at the same time, when you try to take yourself seriously, there's a thousand people that are willing to bring you down too because they're like, "Look at that guy; he's taking like." So it's a funny, <laughs> okay. unique, yeah, uh, culture. And as an American coming here, 
we take ourselves very seriously in the U.S., right? So it took some time for me to adjust to, you know, you stand up from a mountaintop here and you tell people you're going to rule the world. People are like, come on, you're a dickhead, get down, right? Like, that's okay. the culture yeah, yeah. here, right? Like, do you know what I mean? We do it with our politicians. Um, and in that sense, it's very different to the U.S. But, but um, yeah, so look, I, I sorry, I digress. I just, um, we'll, we'll take it back to, some of the concepts um, that you're, you know, that are in your book as well. Like, okay, so you talk about servant leadership, but you also talk about being selfish. Yeah. So how do we juxtapose those? Like, how do we, how do we play with those two ideas at the same time? Sure. Well, the short answer for me is you, you, you need to be selfish first if you're ever going to be servant. Um, and what I mean by that is, in my experience, I thought that being selfless, at least the way I des- described it, being servant meant that, you know, I put everybody else first. So I came last, everybody else came first. And that ended up getting me to a place that I didn't want to be because like I was talking about earlier, these perfectly designed systems. So maybe I didn't understand what selfless or servant meant, but the way I did understand it, it took all of the energy away f- from me. Now, was it was it good for the business? I think it was for a little while, RJ. And then it became something that held the business back and frustrated me at the same time, which is not a good combination. So when I talk about being selfish, even though that's, you know, the word is typically, you know, sort of it's got a lot of negative connotations about it. What I mean is in order for me to be the best leader that I could be, I needed to know what how, what I wanted my future to look like. And I needed to know that as specifically as I could possibly do it. So that took time, reflection, tools, coaching, all kinds of things. Um, but once I was clear on that, then I, then I knew a couple of things. One, you know, obviously I knew where I wanted to be Two, I could explain to other people on the team, you know, Hey, this is exactly where we're going. I don't know. I don't know exactly how we're going to get there, but this is where we're going. And then that allowed me to, you know, change the way I had been thinking about my team because I had told you before, you know, I, I had a lot of capability in my team that I wasn't asking them to to bring. And so I asked them to bring it and and they did. And in addition to that, it 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 made clear to me that where we were missing the the right people that were needed in order for us to own this future that I had um you know, that I had visualized and communicated. So ultimately for me, uh, getting selfish actually allowed me to be a better selfless servant leader because I knew where I was going. I wasn't the person anymore that selfless meant I put everybody else first so that I could be last. It was, you know, I put myself and the business first in order, in order for me to really be as helpful as I could possibly be. Um, so that's kind of how I how I think about the difference there. Did you do you think that your original that originally the way you defined being selfless served you to an extent, right? So it probably it did, kept you yeah. in this this negative cycle of resentment and see the business needs me to do everything, rah 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 rah. Yes, but it, it might have been a de- definition thing, right? In terms of how you define selfless initially, could could very well have been. Um, but I, th- I guess when I think about like servant or level five leaders, and when you talk about them in books and stuff, it's more, it, it almost appears as like they came out of nowhere and they were just able to, you know, just kind of be in the background and help everybody and boom, the company performed, you know, amazingly well. And I just don't think that's what really happened. I think they, 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 you know, got very clear and I use the term selfish. You could use another word to describe it uh, first because they wouldn't be able to achieve what they achieved if they hadn't done that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think it's priorities. And I think there's a negative connotation with the word selfish, but I do, I I agree with what you're saying. I think people hear the word selfish, they automatically assume it's a bad thing. I think what you're saying as well is that they get by prioritizing the business first. It, it means that 
you as a leader can be more effective within that servant leadership space, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. Exactly. Um, so I use it. I use the word selfish because I think that's what it really is. But it's not like I was being outwardly, like I completely changed myself and was being outwardly what people would would characterize as selfish. It was really an internal thing. Get selfish in order for me to get selfless. Mm. What do you think the most important kind of habits? We're a habits orientated show. So I always yeah, ask sure. my guests this, like in terms of we're talking about entrepreneurs, we're talking about business people that are in the middle of scaling their firms. They're all consumed. And, you know, they may be working towards the exit. They may be not. But what do you think the most important habits are for the entrepreneur in terms of possibly their business habits or personal habits whilst they're locked in this journey trajectory? Well, I'd say that um, the number one habit for, for me is to know where I'm going, where am I leading people? So constantly reminding myself and everyone else about where we're going. Um, you know, the, communicating that, like I've, I've heard people, you know, You've heard people say people have to hear something so many times before they hear it for the first time. And I, I say, you know, when you're tired of telling people what it is you've been telling them, they're just starting to hear you. So you can't, you know, so that, so as, a, as far as a habit goes, communicating on that is, is a very, is a necessary habit. But first of all, you have to know what it is and you have to be able to communicate it. And I'd say after that, it comes down to simple things, right? Like, um, you know, habits like doing what you say you're going to do, finishing what you start, you know, saying please and thank you to people, um, having, having, being the, being like calm, you know, no matter what the situation is, right? Because the last thing you need, what the last thing everybody needs is for you to be, you know, blowing a gasket or something because then they don't know what, you know, they... <laughs> freak out. So that's another, that's another one being present. Um, you know, it's hard to be, it's always been hard to be present, especially if you're, you know, the, the leader, but it's actually not hard. It's very easy. You just make it hard because that's, you, you sort of confuse all the things that you need to be with what you need to be doing right now at this particular moment, mm. being present with someone. So those are some habit examples that I, I hope are what you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah, it's about, you know, how can people that are on this journey, you know, I mean, that one is brilliant, or like focusing on what you need to be doing versus the things that you think you need to be. That's huge. Right. Like, you know, like playing the ball that's in front of us, right? And so many of us are lost in 50 million different things. Right. And we're not really giving what's in front of us the right attention. And, and, and particularly, I think when you're a leader, the staff can feel that. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it's something that you have to, a lot of times you have to have, someone has to point it out to you because you, you've just convinced yourself that, you know, the signs of being busy are the signs of who you are. That's, that's how you're showing that you're valuable. Right. And, uh, it's really not showing that you're in control and present is what really shows people that you know what you're doing and that they, sh they, they want to follow you. Yeah, it's a big one, a big one for me, you know, and um, my personal journey in business, I've always seen myself and effectively have been used as a kind of lone gunsman, right? Like I, I've mm -hmm. always built on my own. Uh, I've always been highly autonomous and really have liked that for the last, I don't know, 12 to 13 years, but I'm transitioning to a piece now where I'm going to have to become more interested in other people's success and, you know, having time for other people uh, versus, you know, the whole piece of enjoying doing what I'm doing and then having a lot of time to myself because now I'm developing others and, and how am I showing up for them uh, before I didn't really care as much, right? Yeah. Because it was all about a result for me. And I would utilize people within our firm to help me get those results. But now I'm going to have to be building 
this team around me and I'm going to have to become very aware, not saying I shouldn't have been before, but it's especially now of how I'm showing up for people, how I'm developing them, how I'm seeing a level of patience, being calm. And so I, I, I take what you're saying is, is important. Yeah. And it's hard too, because your motor runs faster than other people's motors. That's just kind of why you are where you are. So slowing your motor down to be present for someone doesn't feel natural, right? If you feel like, well, why don't they speed their motor up, right? So that they're with me, but it's your job to speed their motor up. It's not going to happen just because you expect it to, or you want it to, you know? So part of being present is giving them the attention they need, but also, you know, working on getting them where <laughs> you want them to be as well. So it's not as frustrating, but it's hard. Yeah. It's a personal development journey, really. Isn't yeah, it? I think you're right. Yeah. Mm. Well, look, Mike, we'll leave it there. I really, really want to appreciate you uh, for coming on the show. I know you have a lot going on. Can you tell our audience where they can find your podcast, where they can find your book and what they could expect in your podcast? And book? Yeah, sure. Thank you. So my podcast is called How Did It Happen? You can find it on Apple or any, you can find it on any podcast platform. Uh, you can also find it on my website, which is Mike Malatesta, M-A-L-A-T-E-S-T-A.com. And my, my podcast is very simple. Um, I explore, like I go deep with individuals who've had some success in their life. And I'm trying to dig out the clues that about that success that my audience that will inspire and activate greatness in my audience. That's what I'm trying to do, inspire and activate greatness. And then my book is called Ownershift, How Getting Selfish Got Me Unstuck. That's available on Amazon or, or wherever you, you get your books. You can get that on my website as well. And, and that, that book, and we've talked about some of that today, RJ, that book is about um, my uh, belief that entrepreneurs have an obligation, they deserve to go big. And going big, it doesn't necessarily mean money or whatever. It means going as big as you can possibly go. And um, as we talked about, that's not, that's, that may be an easy thing to, to, to say, but it's a much harder thing to do. And so the book takes you through some, some of my journey and some of my stories on, uh, you know, as I, as I pursued that uh, go big um, idea, um, and while my stories are different than yours, uh, my, my, my goal is that they resonate with a story in your life. Like you can put yourself in, we can put ourselves into the same shoes. And ultimately, um, you know, you can see that if you are, uh, stuck or you're feeling like, um, you know, maybe you want to quit or you want to backtrack or you want to expire or whatever the right word is that you, that, that, that's not really your job. Your job is to go keep going forward, and hopefully, I I, I show you some ways that that have worked for me that uh, that I think could work for you as well. Brilliant. Again, Mike, uh, thank you for joining us here in the land down under. And uh, my pleasure. We'll, we'll leave it there. Thank you. So exciting! Thanks, RJ.